some of the things you can pray for. I understand Betty Kyle, a mother to Tina Wallace and Marty Marsha, was just taken out of the service in a wheelchair. So don't know what's going on there. But you might pray for her and for those that care for her at this time. And then also we prayed for the uh, college students starting back to school, but uh, it just dawned on me, all the students will be starting back to school this week. So, uh, and the teachers too. So pray for, for them as the Lord brings them to mind this week. There are uh, a number of verses in Scripture that you really ought to be aware of. One of them is in Psalm 34, verse 19, where it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them, delivers him out of them all. I might point out that God gives the deliverance eventually, and he does it in his perfect time and in his perfect way. Uh, Just for an example of that, Who is the most righteous person who's ever lived on the face of this earth? Lord Jesus Christ, exactly. Did he have many afflictions while he was on the earth? Certainly he did. Uh, Even the cross of Calvary, the most severe affliction he went through. And and did God stop him from going through that? He did not. But eventually what took place? He raised him up on the third day, victorious over death. And then he ascended to glory 40 days after that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You need to know that. But we also need to know that the Lord delivers the righteous out of them all, eventually in his perfect way. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. These verses and many others like them make us aware of two very important facts. Number one, God's people, followers of Jesus Christ, the righteous, can expect to have many and severe difficulties in this life. Coming to know Christ does not exempt you from the trials and tribulations of this world. Secondly, experiencing such difficulties does not mean that God is against us or mistreating us or that the attacks of evil men can thwart the positive plans that he has for our lives. There are many other passages that declare that God is for those who respond to his grace through faith, those that know Christ as Savior in the age in which we live today. One of these is in Psalm 56 and verse 9. Where David said, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. Those four words at the end of that verse, when I read those a while back, just really grabbed a hold of me. God is for me. Do you believe that? Well, would you say that with me? God is for me. One more time, with conviction. God is for me. I hope you believe that, and I hope if you don't remember anything else that we talk about here this morning, that those four words will grab a hold of your heart, grab a hold of your mind, and especially the next time you go through some difficulty, somebody says something mean to you, or or something hard happens in your life, that those words will just echo through the, the corridors of your soul, and you will remember, God is for me, and nothing 
can ever change that. If you are his child, you belong to him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You can hang on to that, come literally hell or high water. God is for me. Not the only place we have that uh, given to us. We find that truly God is for his people. Psalm 118, verses 6 through 9 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in princes. Romans 8, 31, 32, after we read that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, we have stated, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hugh did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If that isn't enough, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 say, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself I said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, man can do a lot of things to us, but nothing that overcomes the plan and purposes of God in our life. And there is tremendous joy in knowing that God is for me. I hope you're experiencing that joy this morning. I hope you know Christ and that you can truly say, God is for me. And we talk about God being for me. God's on my side. God's my helper. God's working all things together for good for me. God has my back. God loves me. And there's no greater truth upon which we can focus when life is hard than this wonderful truth. God is for me. To fully appreciate what uh, this David's expression of confidence that we just read, God is for me. It's helpful to know something of David's life and also the background of the psalm in which he expresses it. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 56. And uh, we find in this psalm there is a, an introductory superscription uh, before the first verse. These are not part of inspired scripture, uh, these superscriptions, but they are, for the most part, as far as we can tell, accurate. Uh, they're, they're information. They're like a footnote in your Bible that... Uh, uh, a particular Bible student might put there. And it says in Psalm 56, before the, the, the psalm actually begins, to the chief musician, some, some notes to the chief musician, this, this psalm is to be set to the tune of the silent dove in distant lands. And it's a Mitchum of David, uh, a meditation psalm of David that, that comes and, and says it happened when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Well, we, we get something of the background of this psalm given to us in, in the, these words. And uh, we find, first of all, we need to know something about the background of David's life. David was raised in the home of Jesse. Uh, he was a shepherd boy. He was uh, uh, the, the one that God used to slay Goliath. Uh, he, he was one who was a faithful son to his father, Jesse. And we, we find that when he was still a young man, that, that God sent Samuel to Jesse's house to anoint the next king because Saul had rebelled against God 
And Samuel showed up, and he thought one of the older sons, Eliab, was going to be the, the, the logical choice to, to be the next king. But, but we find that uh, God said, no, he's not the one. They go right down the list, and finally, well, do you have any other sons left? Well, I got one more, but he's out taking care of the sheep. And that was David. And David comes in, and sure enough, he's the one that God has Samuel anoint to be the next king of Israel. But he didn't get onto the throne immediately. God didn't put him on the throne immediately. In fact, he served in the household of Saul. He played music for Saul. He served in the army for Saul for some time. Uh, we find that all these things were going on. He married Saul's daughter, Michael. And we find all these things went on in David's life. And eventually, Saul became jealous of David. And Saul tries to take David's life. He wants to kill him, get rid of him. Uh, Saul's in direct rebellion against God, and he wants to kill David. Uh, David's good friends of Saul's son, Jonathan, and Jonathan alerts David to what's going on. And so David literally flees for his life. And we find that as he flees for his life, that uh, we bump into the immediate situation behind Psalm 56. First, David stops at a place called Nob, where the, the tabernacle was, where the priests were. And we find there that, sadly, he tells a lie. He shows up by himself, and the, the, the priest, Ahimelech, says, What are you doing by yourself here? And David says, Well, I'm on important business from the king. I read one commentator, thought he, he said, Well, David maybe was thinking about uh, the king of kings and lord of lords. But if you read the context, that's not what he was talking about. He's, tell, he's lying. And he's telling the, 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 the priest that he's on business for the king, and he ends up getting some bread from the high priest. He ends up, he has no weapons, so he says, are there any weapons here? And they said, well, the only weapon that's here is the sword of Goliath, which who had taken that sword off of Goliath? Well, David had after he killed him, and he chopped, used it to chop off his head. Well, then it was taken to the tabernacle and kept there. And the priest says, okay, here's the sword of, of, of Goliath. You can go ahead and take it. And when, when David leaves there, in flight from Saul, in fear for his life, guess where he goes? He goes to Gath, which is in the land of the Philistines, and just happens to be the hometown of, guess who? Goliath of Gath. Why did he go there? He wasn't thinking very straight. As he goes there, what's he carrying? He's carrying the sword of Goliath, and he goes down to Gath, and when he's there, he's, he's hoping not to be recognized, but he's carrying Goliath's sword, and he's already known as the one who had, had killed their, their great hero, Goliath, and he is recognized, and the people begin talking about him, and, and the people uh, want to kill him and get rid of him, and, but they don't do that without getting him to the king, so they're, they're taking him to the king of the Philistines there in Gath. And David says, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And so one of the things that David does is he, he faked being insane. And, and he lets the, the saliva come out of his mouth and go down into his beard. He drools all over himself. And the people bring David into the king, and the king said, what are you bringing this crazy man to me for? It's an insult to bring him here. Just get him out of, get him out of here. And David's life is spared. And David goes off and, and goes to the cave of Adullam and, and continues to run from Saul. 
and other men come and join him at that time. But that's the background of Psalm 56. And in that time, notice what he writes. He says, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me. Oh, most high. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because, what's it say? God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I'll praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not delivered my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? A number of things stand out in this psalm about David's enemies and also about David's encourager and also about the the experience that he himself says he's going to have as a result of all this. First of all, his enemies are, are, are King Saul and the Philistines. And behind all that is Satan himself because David is God's man to be the next king of Israel, and even more important than being the next king of Israel, David is God's man to be the ancestor of the one who would be king of kings and lord of lords. And so Satan wanted to get rid of David. He wants to use Saul to do it. He wants to use the Philistines to do it. But who's David have on his side? He's got God on his side. He's got terrible enemies who want to swallow him up, they want to kill him. They want, they want to fight him, oppress him, pursue him, destroy him. And in their intensity, they, he says, they hound me all day. And his enemies were many. And it was all part of Satan's plan to destroy David and, and get rid of him. Uh, it's just like everything's against him. And everybody's against him. That's what he's feeling here as he writes the words to this psalm. You ever felt that way? Ever felt like the weight of the world is upon you and you just have this kind of opposition pressing down on you, whether it be from other people, whether it be from circumstances, but, but, but you just feel like you are, are, are pushed down, oppressed, being smashed by the, the things of life? Uh, been there? Or am I the only one that's ever felt this way? Well, I know I'm not because David felt that way. We may not have enemies like Saul or like the king of the Philistines, but, but you got people you work with maybe don't like you. you got people you go to school with that, that uh, for some reason have something against you. you have people that want to give you a hard time. You have difficulties that come in your life, maybe physical difficulties and ailments and maybe financial problems that come about, but sometimes we, we, we just feel like we have this kind of 
opposition and, and pressure on us in our lives from people and from circumstances, one thing after another. I'll tell you, I've seen some families where it just seems to be amazing. In fact, I've asked, Lord, I don't know how these people can take anymore. It just seems like one thing after another comes into their life, and the only thing you hang on to is the Lord knows. He knows how much we can take, doesn't he? And he's promised he will not test us above that which we are able, and we need to hang on to that. But, but David has enemies. And the thing he does when he has these enemies, right here he calls on God for mercy. And as he has these enemies, he looks in the right direction. He calls in the right direction. And he calls upon God. And he looks for help also with the right attitude. When you call on God for mercy, you're seeing yourself and you're seeing things correctly. Because the fact of the matter is God doesn't really owe us anything. The only thing God owes us is to keep his word and keep his promises. But we don't deserve the promises he's made to us. God's made promises to us and God gives blessings to us because of his wonderful grace. As we've defined grace before, grace is God's undeserved favor giving, being given to us. And mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. You know what David did deserve? He deserved to be killed here. Man, he had lied to the high priest there in Nob. And, and David was not perfect. He, he was a, a man who experienced God's grace, and now he calls upon God for his mercy in this situation as well. And I, I would encourage you, you get into difficult situations in life, recognize what you need from God is mercy. Don't become proud and arrogant. Lord, I've got all these problems, and I'm, I'm so righteous, I don't deserve these things to be happening in my life. God, I'm such a wonderful person that I don't deserve to have this, this disease that's come upon me. You know what you and I deserve? Every single one of us. You know what we deserve? We deserve an eternal hell because we've rebelled against God. We're, we're, we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice and, and we deserve to be isolated from God in the lake of fire for all of eternity. But thank God, in His grace, He's made provision. In fact, in His grace, God Himself, God the Son, paid the penalty for your sin and mine on the cross at Calvary because he loves us. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. Thank God for that. He gives us mercy. And he does give us his grace. He gives us blessings that we certainly don't deserve. I encourage you, don't get high-minded with God. Continue to recognize who God is. Recognize who you are. And thank God for his grace and thank God for his mercy. And thank God for the promises of what he, he promised he's going to give to us in this life and, and forever. Call on God for mercy with the right mindset. And uh, when, we, when we do call on God for his mercy, we can thank God that we have a, a tremendous encourager. In verses 3 and 4, uh, David says, Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And he also says, uh, in, in God, and, and he talks about that. He says, I'll, I'll praise his word. You know, you can't really separate God from his word. Now, now, God has revealed himself to us 
in his word. And we have a whole lot more of it than David did. But David had, had a, a, a nice chunk of God's word and promises God had made to Israel and, and also promises that God had even made to David through his prophet Samuel. God had promised, you're going to be the king. That's God's plan. That wasn't Samuel's plan. That wasn't David's plan. That wasn't Jesse's plan for his son. That was God's plan. You're going to be the next king. So he had God's word. He had God's promise, and he, he praises God for that. And I, I, what, a, what a wonderful thing it is when we're afraid to have somebody we can turn to. I'll tell you one of the most difficult things is when you get into a situation and you don't have anybody you can call on. You, you don't know who for sure to turn to. That's one of the heartbreaks in my life when my dad was taken to be with the Lord. When I had things I couldn't figure out, when I had needed help, you know what I did? Got on the phone, called my dad, talked to him. And uh, he's with the Lord now. He's gone. But you know who's not gone? And, and since the Lord's taken my father to be with him in glory, and thank God I'm going to see him again one of these days in the Father's house, I, it's, it's helped me to become more and more dependent upon God. And it's, it's a good thing. When, when, when you're afraid, not sure what to do, what a great thing it is to be able to call upon God and remember the revelation he's given of himself and the promises he's given to us in in, in the scriptures, in the Word of God. And because of that, we have a, a wonderful alternative to fearing enemies. David says that in, in verse 4, he says, In God I'll praise his word, in God I put my trust. He says, I'll not fear what can flesh do to me. What a great, great privilege it is to be able to call upon God and lean upon him and trust him in situations like that. Uh, what can man do to us? Well, the worst thing man can do us is take our lives. Can man do that to us? Yeah, anyone, anybody in this room today could be killed by somebody else. It, it could happen. But can they destroy our soul? Can they do anything as far as our eternal life? No, they can't. They can't. The Lord's the one we ought to fear, the one we ought to lean on, the one we ought to depend on in situations like that. So we find that we have a great alternative to fearing enemies, and that's trusting God. Trust and fear don't really go together too well. We find he, David then goes back to the enemies, and he elaborates on, on things that people can do to you. He asks the question, you know, what, what can man do to me? Well, men were doing all kinds of things to him. They, they twisted his words. They had all kinds of evil intentions. They, they conspired together against him. The people there in Gath were conspiring to get him to the king so that the, the king would kill him. They worked in secret. They worked in the open. They, they, they watched and they plotted. And the desire that they had for David was literally to kill him. Most of us have not been in a situation where we've had somebody that we really think would like to kill us. Maybe some of you have. Uh, I've been in one situation like that not pleasant it's a difficult thing but to have somebody you know that if they could take your life they would do it what do you do in a situation like that well you call on god and you leave them in the hands of god 
God, these people are really mistreating me, and, and God, they've they're, they're got all these evil intentions, and they literally would want to destroy me. God, you deal with them. Verse 7, shall they escape by iniquity? Shall they in their actions of iniquity, are they, they going to get away with it? And then David says, in anger, God, in your anger, cast down these peoples, O God. Now, when we have enemies, it's not up to you and me to deal with them. We don't have to get even. We don't have to destroy them. In fact, in Romans 14, what's it say? It says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And we, many times we just leave people with the Lord. And we find that uh, we, we have the wonderful elaboration on who our God is as our encourager. Now, he, he's a great God. Verse 8 says, number one, you number my wanderings. And David was at this point literally wandering. He had to leave his home in the palace where he had been living. And he literally is wandering around, not sure where to go. Uh, not sure what step to take next. That's how he ended up getting down to Gath. He, he did just really didn't know where to go. But he says, God, you know my wanderings. God knew the wanderings of Israel through the wilderness after they had left Egypt. And God knew the wanderings in David's life. And God knows the, the wanderings in your life. Sometimes we, we don't feel like we know where to go or what to do. God knows all about that. He knows your steps. He knows the, the, the positive steps. He knows when we start to go astray. God knows all about that. It's good that God knows. And, and number, in addition to that, God cares. God cares. He cares about our tears. Great statement here. find that David says that uh, you put my tears in your bottle. You know what he's talking about here? They, uh, they had, in, in ancient Israel, people had tear bottles. They are, according to the, the description here, they were uh, measured about two to four inches in height. Most were made of, back in then, it would have been ceramic or pottery. And, and the body of the bottle is shaped in the form of a teardrop. The vessel usually has a tall, narrow neck and a small, decorative cap. And people would literally, when they cried, they'd get these bottles and they would catch some of their tears and they had a stopper on them that would keep the, the tears from evaporating and, and literally they would collect their tears when they were going through times of, of grieving and mourning and hurting in their lives and especially they would do this sometimes when, when a loved one had died they would collect the tears put them in the bottle and then sometimes they would take these bottles out and, and lay them by the grave or the tomb uh, the one whom they had, had lost. These things were a mark of, of love and concern. And, and the thing here is it says that, that God takes, takes our tears and, and puts them in his bottle. Our tears are precious to the Lord. Think about the last time you cried. What did you cry over? Hopefully not a stupid movie. But, but, but rather, maybe the loss of a loved one or, or maybe a hurting child. And, and you literally cried. And it was deep from your soul, deep from your heart. You know what? 
You know what it's saying right here? When you cry at times like that, you're not crying alone. That God's there collecting your tears in a figurative sense. But he's there with you so close that he can collect your tears and, and they're precious to him because oftentimes what happens when we're going through a time of, of grieving and a time of hurting like that, a lot of times that's when we draw closest to the Lord, don't we? And those times are precious to God. And God cares when you're hurting, when you're crying, when you care about something so much that you literally are shedding tears. Some people can cry at the drop of a hat. Some of us don't cry quite so easily. Uh, But when something really is, is, is tearing at our heart, we weep. The thing I want to encourage you with here this morning is that when that's going on in your life and you're hurting so bad, you're crying, God cares. God cares. He knows you're wandering. He collects your tears in his bottle, and he hangs on to them. And that they're precious times between him and you. God also hears, and he acts. Verse 9, David said, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. God, you'll deal with my enemies in your time. And, and he says, because this thing I, this I know, this thing I know, because God is for me. By the way, we talked about tears a moment ago. They're not only kept in his bottle, but God also, David, also, they're in your book. And, and God's book is not just a record maybe of what's, what's going to happen, but God also has a plan for each of our lives, and it's in his book. And we find that God has a plan for our tears. By the way, I encourage people. You're hurting. You've lost a loved one. If, God's, if you're being prompted to cry, cry. Let the tears come. That's part of God's plan for release. There's a time for weeping, a time for laughing, but a time to shed those tears. It's important to do that. God is for his people. This I know. He is for me. God is for me. There's that word. And God is, is trustworthy. He says, I'll praise you. Verse 11, he goes on, says, In God I have put my trust. I'll not be afraid what man can do to me. What, 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 a, great, what a great privilege. What a great joy to have this kind of a God, to have this kind of an encourager, this kind of a helper, this kind of a savior. And trusting in God is a whole lot better than living in the fear of man. Well, how's David respond to all this? How should we respond to having a God like this, a Savior like this, with gratitude? He goes on, he closes the psalm out, and he says, number one, vows that made to you are, are binding upon me, O God. I'm going to be faithful to you, O God. It's wonderful that God is faithful to us, But it's important that we be faithful to God. Anybody here ever promised God anything? God, if you just spare my life, I'm going to do this. God, if you get me through this disease, I'll do this with my life. God, if you you just help me through this situation, I'll do that and this and that. God, if you give me a child, I'll do this with that child. Do you always keep those promises? We should. We should. We make promises to God. It's a serious thing. God deserves our faithfulness. God deserves our praises. David says, I'll render praises to you. And God also deserves our lives. He goes on. 
and says, You've delivered my soul from death. Have you not delivered my feet from falling that I may walk before God? You know what God wants from you and me? He wants us to walk before Him. He wants us to walk before Him in the light of the living. You know what the light of the living is? Jesus. He's the light of the world. And to walk with Jesus is to walk in the light and to, to experience the wonderful joy of God being so close to us in our lives is that we walk in faithfulness to Him. It's great to know that, that God is for me. As I said a moment ago, I pray you'll hang on to that phrase if you get nothing else out of this message. I pray those four words will stay. Would you say it one more time just to reinforce? God is for me. Okay, fantastic. Now let me ask you the question. Are you for God? Are you for God? Well, amen. Are you for God? I hope so. Abraham Lincoln when they asked him about whether he thought God was on their side, on the side of the Union and the Civil War, he said, the important thing is so much that God's on our side. Are we on God's side? Are we on God's side? Are we for Him? Are we living for God? We, we've taken Christ to be our Savior. Is our life really about walking in the light? Is our life really about living before the Lord, walking in fellowship with Him? Well, when, when that's the case, God can use us. God can bless us. God can give us the peace that we need. And quite honestly, David kind of messed up here a little bit. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I've had a little trouble with this psalm and his great statements of faith and some of the things that David did. He lies to the priest, and then to try to save his own life, what's he do? He fakes insanity. Does that sound like walking in faith to you? Not really, but you know what? I also get some encouragement from that. Have you ever claimed to walk in faith and fallen flat on your face? We have. We have. But the fact that we've fallen flat on our face doesn't mean that we can't still turn things over to the Lord and continue to walk in faith. In fact, later on, David has the opportunity to kill Saul. David's in a cave. And Saul's in there sleeping, and David literally could have killed him, and his followers wanted him to kill him, but he refused to do it. You know why? Because he trusted God to take care of him. He trusted God to give him the, the throne when it was his time. He trusted God to protect him from Saul. He didn't have to kill Saul. I would imagine, I'm speaking to a group of people here this morning where every single one of us at some point in our lives, we've talked a good talk about faith and trusting God, and then we've fallen flat on our face. Where we've taken matters into our own hands. Where we've twisted things around. i got good news for you. The fact that you've failed in the past doesn't mean you have to fail in the future. And I would encourage you, as you go on in the future, trust in the Lord. Walk in faith. Hang on to the wonderful, wonderful truth. God is for me. And then live your life for Him. If you're here and you know Christ is your Savior, you can be absolutely sure God is for you. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, guess what? God's still here for you. Christ came to die for you. You can have Christ as your Savior, but boy, you better get it taken care of in this lifetime. In fact, today would be the day to do that. I don't know what we'll face this week. I don't know what we'll face this next year in any of our lives. 
But I do know one thing for sure from my life. God is for me. And I know something for sure for your life. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, God is for you and you and you and you. He's on our side. He's our help. Does that mean something to you? Praise God. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for these assurances we've looked at in scriptures today. For the fact that you're on our side. You love us. You care for us. You know our wanderings. You, you, you collect our tears in a bottle. They're written in your book. God, help us never forget that you are for us. I pray that especially, Lord, the next time we have some heartache come our way, not knowing what it's going to be, prepare us, Lord, with these great words. You are for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn?